Welcome back to the lounge. Now, we have a regular in the lounge as our special guest tonight. She is one of the members of the panel on our monthly special. She's a chartered psychologist and scientist and is absolutely at the forefront of making psychology accessible and, of course, helpful. It's Dr. Meg Arrell, and she's here to talk about her new book, Tiny Traumas. Welcome back to the lounge, Meg. Oh, Audrey, thank you so much for having me yet again. It's always amazing to talk to you. And gosh, I'm blushing a little bit from that intro. (laughs) It's all deserved. I was lucky enough to read a little bit of Tiny Traumas. I was lucky enough to see the preview copies and I loved it. Your style is so accessible. It's so welcoming and so helpful. It's just a real pleasure to be able to chat more with you about this. Oh, again, thank you so much for the compliment. And um, Audrey, I think like like you, I started off in, in academia, you know, doing, doing my qualifications and my doctorate and we had to write peer-reviewed papers. And I remember... I felt, I felt like this, this peg, this round peg into the square hole. It was just trying to write as concisely and succinctly as possible. And I pushed myself into that style for a long time. And I've had to unravel myself a little bit in terms of writing a book like Tiny Traumas, because my goal was that it should feel like, or it'd be amazing if it felt like someone was sitting with me in my consultation room or out with me on an eco-psychology walk and talk. So I really do hope that it does feel like that. Very much so. So you've touched on this already, but what is the inspiration behind Tiny Traumas? Because the concept that you talk about is really important. Yes. So Tiny Traumas, or rather Tiny T Traumas. So we know a lot about big T traumas. So that means the capital in traumas. These really quite horrendous things that that do happen to people in terms of experiencing perhaps a war zone, a natural disaster, abuse in childhood, and these significantly affect people's long-term psychological and physical health, although there are always um, interventions that we can use to help people too. So it's, it's not a life sentence per se, but we just do know that it has an impact. But actually, there are other things that um, we experience and more of us experience and we call these major life events. So we will all lose a loved one. Many of us will get divorced. Um, most of us will will um, move house or even happy things like getting married or having a family. They do have an impact on us. Mm-hmm. And um, there's been lots of research about if we have quite a few of these in quick succession, they can then again go on to cause some difficulties in terms of psychological well-being, but also physical health. But yeah, there are more things. So if we think of this on a spectrum, there are the big T trauma, the major trauma that fortunately few of us, but of course far too many, but people will experience and then life events, which most of us experience, but actually there are tiny T traumas, tiny traumas that we all experience. And I noticed in my practice that clients were coming in and they were saying, Meg, I, I don't know why I'm here. I, I, I actually don't think I deserve to be here. I don't know what's wrong, but I can't put my finger on it. Mm. And there is that sense of almost guilt and shame that perhaps they weren't happy or they weren't 
flourishing or they were having difficulties with eating behavior or sleep. I thought this is really important because what they were saying was that I haven't had one of these major traumas in my life, but I actually still don't feel okay. And I thought, really need to pause on this. And I remembered from years back, again, when I was uh, working in academia, there was a study and it was fascinating because what it found um, was that people with gastrointestinal disorders, they were more likely to have experienced these smaller tiny teas. But when compared to people who had experienced the big tea, it wasn't that they were equally, equally detrimental to their health. It's that the tiny tea was more influential with their health outcomes than the big T. And I thought that stayed with me. Mm-hmm. So I read that, I don't know how many years ago, say, you know, at least 15 years ago. And then when I saw this happen in my clinic, I was like, we need to move on to a more nuanced type of discussion around mental health. Cause we have come so, so very far, mm-hmm. but there's this whole raft of people who are in this gray area between mental health and wellness and some difficult mental health problems and psychological unease. Yes. And that is really interesting because in the same way as they say that when you have a physical issue, it's visible, it's in a way easier to treat because it follows a pattern, whereas a mental health issue, it's less easy to treat. But even then, when you're talking about these big T traumas, you've got a situation where people kind of have a better understanding of it because more people have been there. But the little T traumas, that can be, I guess, it might be something that's meaningful to you, but may not be for me. It might be a series of things. And that's really fascinating. Audrey, that is absolutely the point so the other important point with tiny trauma tiny t trauma is that one one instance one occasion of perhaps something like a microaggression perhaps feeling humiliated maybe ghosting some some other of these um kind of negative experience like breadcrumbing and all these things that we're talking about now one experience may not impact you but it is the cumulative effects of all these different types of tiny tea over time and are sweeping them under the carpet yes. and really just having perhaps uh, a little bit far too of a keep calm and carry on sort of attitude around it. And because what happens then, we lose the opportunity to develop coping skills if we tell ourselves these are unimportant events yes so the cumulative effects but also because it is this combination of tiny t's we all have our unique constellation of tiny traumas in our lives so if you only choose one if you only choose one and then compare it with someone else well, that may have impacted you significantly in in the context of the rest of your experience. Another person could have the, I mean, the exact same experience, 
But because they are not you, they don't have your history, they don't have all the things that make us who we are, it may not have even touched them. It may not have had any impact at all. So us understanding that something that impacts one person may impact another person in a different way or not at all is a very important message I want to get across about Tiny Tea. You illustrate a lot of your points with case studies, and that's very, very helpful. Are you able to give any specific examples, maybe, uh, of that tiny tea and how it kind of builds? Because we just think, oh, I've grown out of it. It's not that important. I don't need to bother about it. Absolutely. And it is something that builds. And why it can be so confusing to people is they can be bobbing along really nicely and then out of the blue, something that seems relatively small creates this big impact. Yes. So so say that you did grow up, and again, not an abusive environment. We're not yes. talking about big T. Say you grew up in a family where actually you just felt different. You yeah. had a different sort of personality to the people that were around you, which is completely possible. Um, or you felt like, the black sheep but you know you went off and it is a perfectly okay for a long time and then perhaps you joined um a company and you were in this company and just oddly there were a couple of people that just left you out a little bit mm. and so you weren't invited or um engaged with some of the social aspects of it and you just didn't know why now, say someone who grew up in a family where they really sort of felt they belonged, probably wouldn't even notice that or would have just gone to um, these colleagues and been like, oh, okay, what time is it? Where are we going? Hey, yes. it's me. But actually, if you grew up in that environment, you probably would think, oh, this feels oddly familiar or I just don't feel okay. And then what can happen is we can develop what we call maladaptive behavioral patterns and yeah. thought patterns, but behavioral patterns. So perhaps actually then withdrawing a little bit more from these social situations. And as you say, perhaps when we withdraw, turning to food for comfort because it's so immediate, the sort of impact, the physiological impact that energy dense foods have on us, it does make us feel better. And then getting into a little bit of a cycle where you don't really socialize at all anymore. And again, and again, and again, but looking at it and thinking, God, that really wasn't a big deal. What happened at work? Why do I feel this way? Because we're not connecting the dots. When we start to connect those dots, it starts to make sense and it validates people's emotional experience. I love that. And I love your constellation metaphor because I'm picturing that as that thing that's happened, which has all of these different spokes that go out from it, but not all of them are visible. And that's what you do is you, you work and you support them to make those visible so you can make those connections. So given that you support so many people working through the tiny teas, what would you say how do you get someone to open up a bit more when they say, oh, it's it's not anything to worry about. It's fine. I, I, I don't want to take the place of somebody who's got real problems. It's really interesting because I see this so often and it it is something that I will actively challenge 
So first of all, if if a client is concerned about taking the place of someone else, we do know when our psychological well-being is robust, we're actually available to help other people more. So by nurturing ourselves, by working on our own, what I call the psychological immune system and having this really strong and robust psychological immunity, we are then able to give more, to help more, to be more compassionate. So it is an investment, not just in yourself, but in others. And I see that every day in my practice. And it is so, so powerful. But then what can really help is to think about it as an immune system. So just as our physical immune system needs some some challenges in life, actually, so does our psychological immune system. So we're born with an innate immunity, but it's not that much. And we totally appreciate that young kids and infants they're going to pick up loads of bugs, aren't they? They're going to pick up loads of viruses and they're going to be all snotty nosed, but it's actually okay because their immune system is developing. That's the same in terms of our emotional inner world. We, we do need some challenges. And when we just push them aside and say they're not important or I'm undeserving of any support, we are not building up that psychological muscle and that psychological strength. Mm. But it's okay to ask for support to do that because we don't really teach this stuff in school. We don't really talk about it in daily life. And I hope that one day we will. Yes. And I think that leads me on to my next question. That's a really lovely way of looking at psychological intervention. And you yourself, you, you're you so approachable. You've got a wonderful chatty style, which you use in the book, which I love, because that really helps people connect with what you're saying, understand it better, be able to act on it. And it goes a long way to dispelling some of these myths we have about therapy and the head shrinker and the formality of it all, <laughs> because it can be quite frightening to a lot of people. So can you tell us how therapy really as an intervention can be generally so helpful as well as the fact we haven't learned it in school so it doesn't hurt to have that opportunity absolutely so again I like to use the kind of analogy and the comparison with with physical health so I think we're all very much on board with thinking that we need to work on our physical fitness aren't we yeah so you know we need to do it on a regular basis If we join a gym and go once, we're not really going to be that physically fit. But we can do little things in our daily life. We can go for a walk. We can go for a swim, for a run. We can just be active. It's the same with our psychological health. So we do tend to still wait until problems um, in our lives get very difficult and we're just not coping at all before we seek out help. I would like us to be able to work on our psychological fitness before it becomes problematic. And that's a, that's kind of a big macro issue in terms of a healthcare system as well, that we only really serve people who are very, very unwell, unfortunately. Yeah. But there are things that we can do all the time, every day. So in terms of psychological interventions, it may be that we think more about prevention as well. That yeah. also makes it a bit less intimidating but we can do so many things that we talk about a lot, you know, with, with within the lounge too. Daily gratitudes, yeah. but also thinking about 
looking at our emotions, regulating our emotions. What is the emotional literacy here? What is the link between our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors? There is just a huge range of it. And we are talking about it more, but actually talking is not quite enough. So in the book, I have a three-stage model, a three-step process called the AAA model. And the A's stand for awareness, acceptance, and action. So first and foremost, being aware of tiny T's, tiny traumas, but also just the way that we feel, because we tend to push emotions down a little bit. Yep. Then accepting, not just that tiny T's happen, accepting that these things can affect different people in different ways, but also accepting that quite a lot of the time, the suffering comes within our own internal battle for not accepting that the world may not be exactly as we would like it to be. There's a lot of work on acceptance that we're only really beginning to talk about now that's so important. But still, I would want to nudge on and say that's not quite enough, but action. What can we do to action mental well-being, emotional well-being, psychological health on a daily basis and integrate it back into our lives? So, yes, in terms of sort of traditional psychological interventions, I think we are moving on to something that will fit into our lives more, that is much more every day. And maybe one day it will just actually be what we do. Yes, wouldn't that be amazing? I do hope (laughs) we get there. That would be fantastic. Now, you've given some a really lovely model You've got some really great prompts as well for self-reflection. But what might you say to someone who's feeling a bit meh, but really has no idea at all how to start self-reflecting? So they they want to start accepting, they want to start actioning, and they want to do all of those things, but they don't know where to start, but they just know they want to do something to feel that little bit better. And isn't that what we all want, just to feel a bit better? Yep. Gosh, it really is. So I think that talking is incredibly challenging for a lot of people and for all of us sometimes. It's 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 hard, especially if it's not something that we've practiced very much before. Yep. So I think you can use a different modality. So in terms of that feeling, meh, in terms of just feeling numb, you know, most of the time or all of the time, I would say use something like music to explore your feelings. And I use an exercise called the feelings playlist, which is curating your own playlist, but based on a range of emotion. And actually, you don't you don't even have to buy the book. You could just Google feelings wheel and loads will come up and pinpointing not just the kind of emotions that we really talk about a lot. So we talk about sadness and we talk about happiness, but there's a whole range of emotions. Choosing those emotions, finding a song and really getting into the music And not just the happy emotions or the more pleasant emotions, but some of the uncomfortable emotions too. That is often a really good first step because talking is tricky sometimes. Yes, I love that. And then at least if you start talking about the song, you can talk about what it, what feelings it brings up. That's, that's fantastic. Now, where can we buy your book and find out more about you, follow you on socials and so on? 
well of course you can always listen to the specials in the lounge absolutely <laughs> but, uh, my website is drmegarrell.com the book is available from all the usual sort of online retailers and it should be in the shops now too amazing dr meg thank you so much and we'll see you in the lounge for the next special audrey thank you and that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive.